ask my friend Jonathan to come up and help me because uh, I just felt like there was something really special in the room in our time of worship. And I made God a promise a long time ago that this time is his. It's not mine. It's not yours. This is the Lord's time. And so whenever we feel these moments where the Lord just says, hey, can we just hang out a little bit longer? I've told him it's always a yes. Early this morning, the Lord woke me up. He's such a, he's such a sneaky guy, man. Because I'm like, Lord, this is, this is an ungodly hour. <laughs> and so then I turn over and I said, I'm going to just lay back asleep. And then he'll just say, hey, come, let's just hang out. Sometimes the Lord just wants to hang out with you. He doesn't want to get anything from you. He just wants to hang out with you. He wants to lock eyes with you. He wants to love on you. He wants to be with you. So I want to do that here for a few minutes. I want, to, I want us to learn how to be a people that are comfortable with the presence of the Lord. To be a people whose hearts are tender and tenderized by the move of God's spirit. To be a people who know how to relax and breathe in the presence of God. It's very important. What I want you to understand, church, is that to me, the most important thing that you get out of belonging to New Life Midtown is a deeper intimacy with Jesus, the Son of God. I hope you walk away every time you gather, whether it's a table group or whether it's an auxiliary event like a men's breakfast or a women's gathering. I hope you walk away after every Sunday morning saying, my God, I want to know you more deeply. My God, you are so magnificent. You are so great. You are so good. You are so holy. Like, that's what I hope you walk away with. God forbid you ever walk away talking more about me or music than you talk about Jesus in this house. Holy Spirit, we love you. We welcome you. We honor you. Just settle in, guys. We're going to pray here in a minute because there's some things that the Lord has burdened on my heart to pray, but I want us just to settle in the presence of the Lord. Let your heart open up a little bit more. Wade a little bit deeper into the river. Don't stay in the shallows. Rest on us, God. cause dead things to come alive in us today, Jesus. Awaken our affections. Awaken our affection for the Holy One, for the Living One, for the Eternal One. Awaken our affection for the firstborn from among the dead, Jesus, the faithful witness. We love you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. 
maybe here for a few minutes, you would just take time to thank him for his faithful obedience to the Father and for his sacrifice and laying his life down for you. Jesus, we're so thankful. Thank you that you said yes to that heavenly invitation to leave glory and come to earth, to strip yourself of majesty, to take on humanity, to become one of us, to be like us, to suffer, to make yourself absolutely and completely dependent upon the Father, to be betrayed, to be mocked and spit upon, to be executed like a criminal. Jesus, thank you. I never want to forget I never want to treat the cross as commonplace. May we ever be reminded of who we would have been had it not been for the redemption of Calvary. May we ever be reminded that love chased us. May we be ever reminded that you put your Holy Spirit inside of us, that you love us with a fierce and a holy and a passionate love, God. May we ever be reminded that you are good. Let's take a minute here and let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us afresh and anew. It's very simple. You just say, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me. Holy Spirit, Open my eyes to the beauty and the worth of Jesus. Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus in my sight. Jesus, you are the treasure. And you're the pearl of great price. And you're worth everything that we could ever give. You're worth our greatest worship. You're worth our most costly sacrifice. You're worth our affection. You're worth our time. You're worth our money. You're worth us laying down our gifts. You're worth our yes. Jesus, you have our yes again. Whatever you ask, it's good and it's right. And so you have our yes. You have our yes. Lord, make us a people of obedience. You have our yes, Jesus. You deserve our yes. You deserve our obedience. We love you. I'm going to pray for a couple of things here. I want you to join me. Number one, I just I have the nations on my heart today. I'm burdened. 
I'm burdened for the unreached people groups of the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never experienced what we experience on a regular basis. They have no written Bible in their language. They've never experienced the presence of God like we do. They don't gather together in assembly of believers. So I want to pray for the nations. I ask you to join me. I want to pray. Secondly, I want to pray for our youth. Tuesday through Thursday, there's going to be people from all over our nation gathering together. It's going to be a holy convocation that's taking place up at North. And I want to pray that God encounter the next generation and mark them. Mark them. Mark them. Brand them for the kingdom. I ask you to join me. And then I want to pray for my wife who's uh, preaching over at East today. She needs our help. She needs our prayer. God, we cry out today for the nations of the earth. God, we ask today that you would reveal Jesus to every people, to every nation, to every tribe, and to every tongue. Lord, I'm asking that you would continue calling and knocking and inviting on the doors of faithful sons and daughters who will say yes to partner with the Great Commission. Until the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Jesus, we are convinced and we are convicted that you deserve the worship of the nations. That heaven's worship choir will not be complete until it is comprised of every language and every people group, every ethnos on the planet, every ethnic group with their uniqueness, with their cultural uniqueness. We're asking today, oh God, that those that don't have gospel witness, that Lord, we pray into the move and the movement and the mission of the Great Commission that the gospel of Jesus would be proclaimed unto every nation and then the end shall come. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be poured out afresh and anew. God, that you would raise up, Lord, even again another missions movement from among the nations, God. Raise up and send out Africans to the nations. Raise up and send out Latin Americans to the nations. Raise up and send out Asians to the nations, God. Raise up and send out Europeans and Anglo-Saxons. And raise up and send out Americans. God, raise up and send out your church into this harvest field. Thrust us, thrust us, God, into the harvest field until every people hear this beautiful redemptive message of the love of God. God thrust us into the harvest field. Lift up our eyes and see that the harvest is ripe and that the harvest is ready. Lord, I'm asking that you would make New Life Midtown and Isaiah 6 people that says, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, that you would make us a ready people, that you would make us a missionary people, that you would make us an engaged people, that you would make us a people moved with compassion like Jesus was moved with compassion. And God, it begins here in the place of prayer and intercession. So God, do something, I pray. Birth something in your spirit. Father, we pray that next week when hundreds of people 
young ones come from across this nation. God, I'm asking you meet them, encounter them, visit them, mark them, mark them, awaken their hearts to the beauty and to the reality and to the worth of Jesus. Mark them. Oh, God, lay a hold of them like you lay a hold of me at a dusty altar, God, and I was never the same for the past 30 years, God, I've been chasing after you because a moment, in a moment, God, you laid a hold of me. So I'm asking that you lay a hold of the sons and daughters of the next generation, God. I'm asking for power encounters. I'm asking for the revelation of Jesus that comes by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do it, God, we pray in our hour. Lord, capture the hearts of our sons and our daughters from across this land. And God, would you just anoint my wife today as she ministers to our brothers and sisters at the East Campus, God, God, put an anointing on her that is just beautiful and powerful. We pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jonathan, thank you. Church, thank you. We're going to say yes, right? We're going to say yes. We're going to follow the cloud. You remember when the people of Israel were out in the, de in the desert and the Lord said, hey, I'm going to make this really simple for you. Where I go, you go. And if you pop up and you see the cloud is gone, you better pack up and you better run quick. And at nighttime, if you see there's a big old massive pillar of fire and it's moving, you better start moving. So don't ever get too comfortable in your life with God. Don't ever get too static. Don't ever get too entitled. Right? He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who leads us. We follow. We follow in radical dependence and obedience and trust. And in that following, there is just so much great goodness that God has for our lives. Right? You believe that? Guys, I have a word that's burning inside of me. And I want to get there quickly. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 10. All of you who are new with us today, we love you, and we're just so glad you're joining us, whether it's for the first time or whether God says, hey, I want you to join this people, we welcome you today. Amen. And we extend the hospitality of the Lord to you, and we pray that, that God meet with you and that God's people meet with you in an authentic way and in a powerful way today. God bless you. Acts chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 34. I'm, I'm fast-forwarding a lot. So to catch some of you guys up to speed, about three weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan launched us into our summer series on the Spirit-filled life. He did a masterful job, as he always does, out of Acts chapter 2, talking with us about some of the characteristics of the early church, how they gathered together, how they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, how they were a people of the Spirit, but how that kind of manifested itself in very ordinary ways. And then Pastor Christie came and gave us a remarkable word, reminding us of our missional foundations, that we are a people of encounter, we are a people of formation, and we are a people of mission. Now, that I believe that's every congregation, every people that call themselves a called-out ecclesia or a church. But specifically, those are our marching orders. Like when we come into this space, I'm coming in with faith that you encounter God. I'm praying that, I'm believing that you encounter God. 
that God is not a faraway concept or idea, that he's as close as our very next breath and the reality and the fullness of God come and invade our hearts. And we are a people that are marked by encounter, but we're also people that are formed by the scriptures, by truth, and we're formed by the spirit. And we're also people that engage with God and his mission in the earth. So today I want to talk with you about the fact that to do these things, we must understand and we must partner with the fact that we are anointed for good works. Can you say that with me today, church? Say, I'm anointed for good works. With a little bit more gusto, can you say, I'm anointed for good works? Because you're not, you're not quite convinced, and it's my task here in the next 15 minutes or so to convince you that you, in fact, are anointed for good works in the same way that Jesus was anointed for good works. So we're picking up the story here in Acts chapter 10. God has gone through some really great lengths to set up a divine appointment between a man by the name of Peter, who is now one of the apostles or the leaders of the early church. Peter was one of the disciples. He was called by Jesus. He followed Jesus for three, three and a half years. And he found himself emerging as one of the primary voices of leadership in the early church when the early church was started. Peter is called away into a vision, and he has this unique vision where God opens up the heavens, and he begins kind of dropping down this tent of all these different animals, and he invites Peter to eat of these animals. He's like, kill them and eat them. They're good. Now, in the Jewish culture, there were certain animals that were marked as unclean, and so for their particular dietary laws, Peter is saying, these animals are not unclean, and so this is so deeply embedded into Peter's makeup that he is having this argument with God. Argument's probably a strong word, but God has to show him the same vision three times in a row so that he can begin unwiring this thing that is so socially and culturally embedded into who Peter is. And God is giving him this prophetic message that supersedes food. Essentially, what God is trying to get Peter to understand is that there are people that you once considered unclean, and they are not unclean. Peter, I need you to understand that I'm a God of all ethne, all ethnos, all people groups. That I am a God of not just Israel, that I'm not just a God who favors the Jewish people, but I'm a God who wants every single people group on the planet to come into a knowledge of who I am. While this is happening, there is a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a Gentile. A Gentile very simply is any other people group that is not Jewish. And Cornelius is receiving a vision right around the same time, and it's a vision of an angel, and the angel is telling him, there's a guy who has something that you need to hear. His name is Peter. This is exactly where he's living. So fetch a company to go get him and invite him to come to your house. And this is where we pick up the story. Peter says yes. And the only reason he says yes is because God's been doing work on Peter and showing up to him in a vision three times. The company or the delegation from Cornelius' house show up to Peter. They say, hey, uh, we feel like you have something really important to share with us. And On a different message, what I can talk with you about is the fact that we have been given the privilege 
of communicating the message of the gospel. That privilege belongs to humanity. Notice that the angel didn't tell Cornelius the gospel. The angel told Cornelius, you've got to go find another human being to tell you this message because the beauty and the privilege of sharing the message of the gospel belongs to the redeemed ones. It belongs to us. Peter shows up, and when he shows up to Cornelius' house, Cornelius has called a party together. He's got the whole family there. They've invited their aunties and their uncles and their cousins. They've got distant neighbors, and they're all squeezed in to Cornelius' house, and they're like, let's go. What you got? We're ready. Tell us what you want to tell us. And Peter, right on the spot, has this epiphany, and he's like, my God, all of the things that I have read throughout the majority of my life, through all the prophets, they're all crashing into a point of revelation where I automatically in this moment understand you are the God of the nations. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter began to speak and he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. And here's the verse that I want us to get. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Man, that's just good stuff right there. I'm going to need you guys to wake up just a little bit this morning because there's something really deep inside of me. I need you to work and pull it out. There it is. Thank you, Josh. I might just preach just to you. Here we go. I'm just going to turn right here. Y'all want something. Y'all going to have to talk to me. How God anointed Jesus. Now, what you've got to understand is that we can't go too deep into, the, into Christology here, but... When Jesus was sent from heaven, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus fully became a man. He was was man. And at the same time, he was fully God. But there are elements of his divinity that he essentially, he laid down before the Father and he emptied himself so that he could be absolutely and completely dependent upon God in the same way that you and I are absolutely dependent upon God. So that we can't look at Jesus and go, oh, well, you're Jesus. Of course you raised people from the dead. You're Jesus. Of course you laid hands on the sick and they were healed because you're God. He said, yes, I am God. But I laid down a part of my godness to become absolutely dependent upon God to show you how to be dependent upon God. And in the same way that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, that is the same way that you're to live your life and I'm to live my life day in and day out. And listen, friends, it's not, we're not just anointed for things that we would put in a quote-unquote spiritual category. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. Look at the next phrase here. I love this. 
and how he went around doing good. Period. Don't over-spiritualize that. You need the anointing to go around and do good. And in whatever form doing good takes, you need the anointing of God to do good. Some translations say how he went around doing good works. Some translations say how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power to do good works. Good works are not just Christian works. Good works are not just spiritual works. Anything and everything that you put your hands to that has the mark of goodness on it, you need the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to do good works. Man, I got to I got to move here because there's so there's a there's a place that I need you to get to today where you understand that God has anointed you for even the work of your hands, carpenters, craftsmen, writers, mechanics, engineers, artists, authors, singers. You need the anointing of God to be a parent, to keep your house clean, to love your wife, to resist sin, to be good to your neighbor, to be hospitable, to cook good food. You need the anointing. You can't do anything good in and of yourself. Anything that's lasting, anything that's worthwhile, anything that's eternal, anything that matters for the cause of eternity, you can't do it. And I know that offends some of you right now. It's supposed to. It offends the humanistic spirit inside of us that wants to elevate itself above God and say, we don't need you. Look, we can build a tower to heaven. Look, we can build Babel. Look, we can do these things. And God says, there is nothing that you can do in your own power and ability that will last beyond your lifetime unless I put my stamp of anointing on it. You're either going to build a tower for yourself or you're going to lay yourself down and build something that's going to last throughout all of eternity. Look with me at Luke chapter, oh man, time. Let's just, let's go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. I wouldn't worry about it if it was second service. That's right, they could just join us. Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and in the wilderness he is, prior to him going into the wilderness, he's, he's baptized. And something that you need to catch in Luke chapter 3 is that when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in bodily form. And in this moment, I believe Jesus was baptized in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, in his fullness, came upon Jesus, filled Jesus, and remained with Jesus. You'll notice that Jesus does nothing in terms of his miracles, in terms of his ministry, in terms of anything that he does for the kingdom of heaven until his baptism. Why is that? Because he needs the anointing. He needs that endowment, that power, that ability. He needs that empowerment from God for everything that he did. Every parable that Jesus taught, he taught under the anointing. 
Every conversation that Jesus got into where Pharisees and teachers of the law were, were trying to trap him, he got out by the anointing. Every sick person who came to him and laid their hands on him or he laid their hands on them, he healed them by, say it with me, the anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is how Jesus lived his life and his ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. The anointing is for a purpose. We're not anointed just to walk around and say we're anointed. Like the point of being anointed is not to say, oh, Melanie, look how anointed I am. Shaw, look how much anointing I got today. Look how full my vessel is. I'm, I'm so anointed, Esther. Look at how anointed I am. I'm, I'm anointed. That's great. How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored, anointed of God. What are you anointed for? Because the anointing is for a purpose. The anointing is for an assignment. The anointing is for us to partner with God to fulfill God's ultimate mission to reveal Jesus in the earth and to bring his kingdom to bear in every part of society. That's why you're anointed. You're anointed to do good works and to heal all those who are under the oppression of the devil. That's why you're anointed. You're anointed to be a lampstand, to be a light, to be a witness. You're anointed to proclaim the goodness of God and testify to his mighty works. And, and you're anointed to be creative. You're anointed to do everything that God has put you on this earth to do. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the oppressed free. And what I need you to do, church, is I need you to see these things not from a religious lens. Like there are some of you that are setting the oppressed free and you're doing it in a way that doesn't look like an altar call and come out. Like some of you are setting the oppressed free by as sitting at a coffee shop and by being an incarnational listening ear and you're being present and the fullness of the spirit of God inside of you that is able to enter into someone's grief and brokenness and pain is setting them free because you're anointed to set the oppressed free. Oh, what does it mean to be anointed? Very simply, the word to anoint means to consecrate. It means, look at this, it means to consecrate. What, is it, what does consecrate mean? To consecrate something means to set it apart for a sacred role or a special function. How many of you guys have special things at home that you only break out at special times? Dishes, right? Those things are anointed. They're consecrated. They're set apart. Kids, don't touch those. You're going to break them. We pull, those special, we pull the special china out for special purposes because that china is consecrated for special purposes. Are you, are you with me? So when you anoint something, you are placing, you are placing oil on something that says now this thing is set apart for a special purpose, for a special function, for a sacred role. All right, let's go, let's go old school. Let's go to Exodus chapter 30. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> We're going way back. 
Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. So God teaches the people of Israel how to produce a certain kind of oil, and the function of that oil is to anoint things so that the things that are anointed are set apart for special functions. Are you, are you tracking with me? The purpose of the oil is to set apart other things for special purposes. But it's not just any oil. And he's not, he's not Crisco. It's not vegetable oil. It's not lard. Right? It is a special oil so that when this oil touches special things, everyone knows that those special things are set aside for special functions. Then the Lord, verse 22, then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices. I'm going to blaze through this. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much of fragrant cinnamon, 200 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hint of olive. Make these into, watch me, a sacred anointing oil, special, divine, a fragrant blend, which is by the work of a perfumer, right? There's skill. There's intentionality. It it will be the sacred anointing oil and then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, the table, all of its articles, the lampstand, its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, all of its utensils. In other words, everything that is in the tabernacle, which was a precursor to the temple, which is a precursor to us, Everything that is in the tabernacle that is used for the worship of God, God says anoint it and set it apart. I'm going to have to save this for another day, but I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a foretaste of the fact that we have made holy things common. By the spirit of the age, by the spirit of you know, not offending anyone by a spirit of trying to lower down the common denominator and make everything convenient and come in and bring your donut and put your hand in your pocket and hold your cup of coffee while we are worshiping the God of ages. Come and be comfortable, right? But we're going to save that for another day. Look at verse 29. You shall consecrate them. Why? Why are we consecrating them? So that they will be holy. Friends, we got to get a renewed revelation of holiness in the church. A renewed revelation. Many of us are looking around at problems in the culture and folding our arms and going, what's wrong? And it's, it's a holiness revelation. And there is a joy of holiness that when you... Holiness is not just some form of bondage and oppression. Like when you step into the spirit of holiness, it is so liberating. There is a delight and a joy when you're truly walking in the spirit of holiness as God has designed that spirit of holiness. You start touching on why you were created. Right? So let's, let's not down holiness. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy, and whoever touches them will be holy. Anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. So now we're not just anointing things, we're anointing people. And we're anointing people for sacred roles and specific functions. Right? We've got to get back to understanding a process for releasing people into vocational ministry. 
and we've just lowered the bar, right? You look cool, and you sound good, and you're talented and charismatic and gifted, and that's why we've got pastors that are blowing up because they're more interested in being celebrities than they are in being anointed. And we have so little discernment that we confuse charisma with being charismatic. And we don't have the ability to discern talent from anointing. Are you hearing me? The anointing of God will destroy yokes of bondage. You know when you're sitting up underneath an anointing because God begins to partner with that anointing and do things in your life that can't happen just by somebody who's talented. We're not looking for TED Talks up here. We're not trying to bring comedians up on the stage and entertain you. We want anointed vessels that destroy the yoke of the oppression of the enemy off of your life. Right? Your marriage... Your marriage doesn't need just a talented speaker. Your marriage needs somebody who's anointed to get you into a place where you can get revelation so that you can run to the cross and get freedom so that the covenant of marriage can be maintained in your life for future generations. All right now. Verse 31, say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generation to come. Verse 32, this is amazing. Do not pour it on anybody else's body, and do not make any other oil using the same formula. We're going to save that one for a Wednesday night. That's a rabbit hole that will take us about two hours minimum and a big, giant soapbox. Listen to this. God is saying, I'm going to give you a formula. I'm going to give you a formula to create an anointing oil. That specific purpose is to set things and people apart for sacred purposes. But watch me, do not take what I'm giving to you and then replicate that thing and prostitute it out for other purposes. It is sacred. Say sacred. And you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from their people. The anointing's no joke. I need you to hear today that there is a process, that there is intentionality, that there is a purpose, that there is a power in the anointing. I need you to hear today that when Peter stands up and he talks to a group of Gentiles and he says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, he's drawing on thousands of years Thousands of years of tradition. He's drawing on divine wisdom that was revealed and divine ordinance that was revealed to a people to understand this anointing is speaking to something that is coming. I don't think you caught that. So when God showed up to Moses and he gives them these commands, Moses didn't have this fullness of this revelation, but here's what God was doing. God was embedding into the very culture. He was hiding into the very culture of the Jewish people something that would speak to the day of Pentecost and the anointing of Jesus, which is a precursor to the way that you and I are to live our lives. He was hiding it there 
saying, this is the way that my people need to live if they're going to have victory and if my people are going to have success and if my people are going to bring my kingdom to bear in the earth, I'm going to hide it here so that they can look back on it like Nick Cage and National Treasure, like Indiana Jones and go, oh my goodness, there it is. Look at that. Look at that. And boom, connect all these dots and go, it's been there all along. It's been there all along. Y'all thought the anointing came with Azusa Street, 1906. Y'all thought the anointing came with Oral Roberts. Y'all, y'all, y'all think this is something we just made up. I'm here to tell you today that every time we pull out one of these little things right here and we put it on you or you put it on your kids or you smear it on your doorpost, you are drawing from something that God set in motion thousands of years before, which is a key to your spiritual power and victory. All right, let's. So God anoints people for sacred roles. Now, we just saw here, and there are, there are several times where God anoints in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He anoints priests. So we got that. But he also anoints kings. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. We all know about young David. We all marvel at the fact that David stood up against this massive nine-foot giant and was just endued with this holy boldness and this holy courage and this holy power. And we go, wow, David must be such a mighty, powerful man of God. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? If y'all ain't getting it now, he was anointed. He was anointed. This doesn't... this. This wasn't just in David's makeup. David was able to stand up when, watch this, an entire army was running away, cowering in fear, and he was able to go one-on-one because he was anointed. The anointing will empower you to face giants in your life. The anointing will empower you to defeat enemies that have remained in your family bloodline for generations. It's the anointing. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. The oil is one of five symbols in the Bible for the Holy Spirit, by the way. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. For I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 3, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Fast forward, let's jump down a few verses to verse 12, same chapter. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. So what's going on here is Samuel brings all the sons out, and they all look amazing. They're all six foot four, six foot six, broad-shouldered, handsome. And each one, Samuel's going, you got to be the one. Nope, you got to be the one. Nope, you got to. He goes all the way down the line, seven or eight brothers, and Samuel's confused. Is there anybody else here? And they're all like, yeah, well, there's that guy. <laughs> you know, the skinny one, the runt, the guy that many scholars believe was actually uh, sired by a different wife, so he was a half-brother. Mm-hmm. We'll go there another time, too. 
The guy who stings because he's always hanging out with the sheep. He's a little bit weird. He's poetic and artsy. Yeah, Samuel's like, get him. This is David. They bring David in in verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and he was handsome. And the Lord said, rise, oh, rise and anoint him for this is the one. Friends, don't ever, don't ever disqualify yourself. Don't ever disqualify yourself. For them, there are some of you in this room, by the word of the Lord, I'm going to tell you today, some of you are called to a measure of public ministry or public leadership or public influence. And if you are not in the public space right now, then go deeper in the secret place until God pulls you out of the secret place and sets your feet in the public space. But don't be anxious to be in the public space until God sets you in the public space. And until God puts you in the public space, become comfortable with the secret place. Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. You need the anointing. You need the anointing. When, when the king at that time was, was demon-possessed and demonic spirits would come upon him and he'd start going crazy, they'd say, call in David. And David would take his little harp and he would play that harp. And all of a sudden, a deliverance anointing would fill the room. Do you think that's because David was just a great harp player? No, he was anointed. And then when the king started throwing spears at David and running after him and chasing him down... And David had opportunities to kill that king, and he says, I'm not going to do it. Do you think it's just because he was a noble man? Nope. It's because he was anointed. And when they would send out the general, and they would send out David, and they would go fight their enemies, and they would come back, and they would say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Is that because he was just, you know, some gladiator, you know, Russell Crowe-like figure? Nope. It's because he was anointed. And it's easy for us to look at someone like David and go, oh, David, one of the heroes of the faith. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. Friends, all of that, David didn't even have the Holy Spirit within him, right? All of that is a picture. It is a type and a shadow. The life of Jesus, it is a picture. It is a type and a shadow for the way you were called to live your life. Look with me, if you would, at the book of Exodus again. I told you that we're anointed for specific roles, but we're also anointed for specific assignments. This is going to blow your mind. Jason, this is going to blow your mind, bro. I'm telling you, man, you're going to love this one. Look at, it, look at this, Exodus 31, verse 1. So then the Lord said to Moses, this is the first time the phrase filled with the Spirit is ever used in the entire Bible. All right? And whenever you see something for the first time, it's, it's usually very significant. I'm going to say this and we'll be done. This has to be a two-part message. Come to Wednesday night. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Verse 3, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. I have filled him with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Why? Why? Certain, certainly it's for him to do priestly duties, Right? Right? Certainly it's for him to like preach or proclaim or lead or be a prophet or be a judge, right? Certainly. Certainly the first time God would use the phrase filled with the Spirit, it would have to be for some magnificent spiritual endeavor, right? Right? I ain't getting, you're not agreeing with me today. 
This is why this is the first time God fills somebody with the Spirit. This is unbelievable. Verse 4: to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? That tells you that you need the anointing to work with your hands. It tells you that you you need the anointing to be a great cook. It tells you that you need the anointing. You, you know, you, you think you're just slugging it out and things are just boring and mundane, or you thought that you're just brilliant and creative and you got that idea for that project while you were asleep. No, you're anointed. You need the anointing on your hands. Those of you who work in um, the medical community, stand up. Come on, man. Come on, let's go. Listen. Everybody stretch forth your hands. You need the anointing of God to lay hands and to help people recover. You need the anointing. So right now, in the name of Jesus, may the anointing of God be upon you to be a healer. May the anointing of God be upon you to alleviate people from their pain. May the anointing of God be upon you to to understand and rightly diagnose the root and the cause of people's brokenness and dysfunction. And by the wisdom of God, bring solutions Bring, bring uh, programs, bring remedies in order to relieve people of pain and bring them into wholeness and health in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you guys are artisans? All the artisans in the house, in every field, stand up. Artists, singers, musicians, composers, authors, stretch forth your hands in the name of Jesus. Be anointed. Be anointed to draw, paint, Take pictures, photography, be anointed to create, be anointed to write music, be anointed to perform, be anointed to dream the dream of God, be anointed to bring beauty into the earth realm, be anointed by God today in the name of Jesus to be artisans, to be artists, to be balladeers, to be dancers, to be craftsmen, to be engineers, to be problem solvers, be anointed in the name of Jesus. Woo, this is fun. All right, everybody stand with me today. I'm just going to pray for all (laughs) y'all. Whatever it is that you put your hands to, and most of you will not be in what is called like vocational ministry like I am. And thank God for it. Because the Lord needs you to be a pastor on, on military bases. And the Lord needs you to be apostles in your business community. And the Lord needs you to be prophets in your classrooms. And the Lord needs you to be teachers to your children. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today, according to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that in the same manner and in the same spirit that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power to go around and do good and to heal people from the oppression of the devil because God was with him, I declare over you today, church, that you're anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power to fulfill the calling of the Lord on your life, to do good works, You're anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power to lay hands on the sick and to see them recover. You're anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power to preach and proclaim and share and tell the good news of the story of God. You're anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power to listen incarnationally, to bring the healing power of God into the broken places of our society. You're anointed with the power of God to create and to dream and to release solutions to problems to be builders, to be reconcilers. You're anointed 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, this is all possible. Yeah, you go ahead and clap your hands to the Lord today. You got to get this. You got to get this. Guys, I ask the Lord to anoint me every morning. When I, before I launch out, I ask the Lord to anoint me. The other week, last week, we were at Waterworld. Quick story. We are going to Waterworld. I got two little twin boys right here, nine years old. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm like filled with this measure of anxiety because I'm like, dear God, we're going with 40 youth. And I've got two nine-year-old boys that are going to run me around that entire park in the sun all day long. So you know what I'd ask the Lord to do? You better believe it. I did. I said, God, I need you to anoint me to go to Waterworld today. I, did, I promise you, over and over and over again, I said, God, anoint me. I need strength. I need patience. Lord, anoint me. And watch this. At the end of the day, there was one hour left. Milani, Kenya, they tapped out. They weren't feeling well. And it was me and my two twin boys. And if you haven't been to Waterworld, they have these big old massive, massive floats that you can fit like eight people in. But you need at least two strong dudes to carry those things. So it's me and I got two little puppies hanging on to those things. And in one hour, in the last hour of that day, we went on eight rides, seven of which we had to carry that big old thing. And the last ride of the day, this is incredible, journey to the center of the earth, voyage to the center of the earth, the very last ride, it is 550. We just finished storm, and voyage to the center of the earth is right down there. And my boys are like, Dad, one last ride. One, let's do it. And I said, I said, I said, Lord, th this right here is what I prayed for. And I said, guys, if you'll do it, I said, I'll, I'll match you. If you'll carry that thing up the hill, and it was the longest hill of the day, I said, I'll match you. They took off, ran down. I was like, dear Lord, I'm running behind them. We slipped in behind the lifeguard. Like she was, she was shutting it down, and she looked over, and she, she rolled her eyes, and she said, seriously? She goes, you guys are the last ones. Those boys grabbed that thing, and we ran up that hill about 100 and 150 yards, and all I could think about was early in the morning at 5.30 going, God, anoint me. God, anoint me. And you know what? He did. He did. He did. He will anoint you for every assignment that you have in the earth. Amen? Amen. Let's come to the table today. You guys can be released on the left. Come, receive the bread, receive the cup. Go back to your seat. We'll take it together, and then I'll send you out of here.